This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Goal Zero. Their mission is to empower people by putting reliable solar power in the hands of all. They encourage us to lead a solar life, whether that's on the trail or on the road. I know from experience, I use Goal Zero products to stay charged while backpacking and traveling in my Sprinter van. Learn more at www.goalzero.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. This episode, like many, came out of a place of curiosity for me. I wanted to dive into adventuring with kids because I want to know how women's relationship with the outdoors change when they have children. We talk about women, you know, quote unquote, having it all, career, family, relationships with their significant other. But how does your relationship with your passion change when you have children? How is it different today than it might have been 25 years ago? Part of this curiosity is selfish. I'm 30 and, to be completely honest, a bit on the fence about having children. So I wanted to hear from you, the listeners, about what it's like. I also talked to the women who have started organizations to bring women and families together in the outdoors. Over the course of two episodes, I hope to get a sense of adventuring with kids, from pregnancy to adulthood. I'm an outsider, a bit like Laura Stasi. Past spring, I was sitting at a picnic table on the shores of Kintla Lake in Glacier National Park, doing some watercoloring, and I looked up as two families beached their canoes and four little girls tumbled out, giggling onto the shore. They immediately spotted me and headed over to see what I was doing and give me artistic criticism on my work. Despite the chilly, overcast day, they were all bundled in raincoats and couldn't tell me fast enough just how much they loved Glacier and this annual camping trip. Their enthusiasm and hardiness reminded me of my past four summers leading wilderness trips for girls in northern Maine. I couldn't help but look over at their parents and share a knowing smile hoping it relayed my appreciation for what they were doing for their kids and how one day I hope to do the same with my own. But let's start further back to adventuring while pregnant. I talked with Brittany Ah a month or so ago when I was working on the Fresh Air on the Job episode about her experience working as a climbing ranger at Mount Rainier. As I was doing a little background research on her by reading her blog, The Magnetic North, I found out that she was a mountain athlete and that she hadn't slowed down at all while pregnant. In fact, she's an advocate for women staying as active as they can while they're pregnant. We talked about her pregnancy story together. First of all, I wasn't expecting to get pregnant. I've always wanted children, but I wasn't expecting to get pregnant when I did. It just sort of happened, and then I was excited. But I was probably as fit as I've ever been as a multi-sport athlete, most of the time I transitioned through sports from season to season. But when I got pregnant with her, I was trained up for sport climbing and ultra running. And so in the first 10 weeks, 12 weeks of pregnancy, I ran two ultras and sent my hardest rock project ever. <laughs> it was like superhuman, recovering super fast and reaping the benefits of having increased blood volume in my body. And it just kind of continued from there. I had a great backcountry ski season. I skied the hardest stuff I've ever skied before. I took a 
running trip down the West Coast and ran 600 miles. <laughs> and I went into labor while I was in the climbing gym and then returned three days later and climbed again. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Did you get the typical first trimester nausea? You know, I did a little bit, but what I found helped the most was being out in the fresh air, breathing rhythmically on my runs. I know on a personal level, I get the least amount of PMS when I am exercising consistently, when I'm active and eating healthily. It'll be like the depth of winter when I haven't done enough and I'll like all of a sudden have all the annoying parts of being a woman coming true. The sensations of pregnancy and what you should be doing around that early time is similar to PMS. The interesting thing about pregnancy, though, is that it requires half the calories per day that it requires to be premenstrual. So premenstrually, you need 500 extra calories a day to build up your uterine lining. And when you're pregnant, you need about 250, which equates to like a Lara bar. Yeah. Oh, I can do that so easily. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> That's really surprising to me. So did you dive into it, researching as much as you could about the biomechanics of being pregnant and how that relates to exercise? Well, I have a kind of a leg up. My professional career for the last 10 years has been in global health. And I did some academic research on lay midwife training programs in India that, and just have a ton of experience working on midwife training programs and women's health globally. And so I already knew a ton about pregnancy and I had already planned, oh man, if I ever get pregnant, this is like my one chance to blood dope. I'm going to really exercise hard. <laughs> so when it happened, I was pretty knowledgeable already about the purported risks and the actual benefits that a woman could receive by training hard while she's pregnant. You would get comments sometimes about looking as fit as you were while pregnant. How did you deal with external pressure that probably often came from other women. That's, you know, that's super astute. Women are the worst to other women. It's so sad to me. It's like the teenage guys at the gym were the ones who were like, wow, you're such a badass. It's awesome. And the women are the ones throwing shade. I just couldn't, couldn't understand. A lot of it, I'm almost six feet tall and I have a really long torso and strong abs. So I didn't show very much and I kind of just had a six pack until I gave birth. For me, that was normal. Perhaps that's not normal for other people, but the range of normal in pregnancy is huge. It's massive. <laughs> so when people would make comments, most of the time I would just tell them pretty directly, I don't accept unsolicited advice. Yeah, especially about your body. Yeah. Well, and then the the issue got to be so frustrating that one day I just posted a picture. I like did a side-by-side -side of myself and Tess Holiday, who's this gorgeous plus-size model that I follow on Instagram, who started the hashtag F your beauty standards. It's like plus-size women doing awesome things and being gorgeous, just being like beauty standards mean nothing. And posted a picture of her at 39 weeks pregnant and me at 39 weeks pregnant next to each other. And put a caption that was like, we're both having healthy pregnancies. We're both making empowered choices about how we conduct our pregnancies. And we both get shamed in the same ways. Our bodies aren't public property and pregnancy is hard. Stop commenting on other people's bodies. <laughs> and it went super viral. Pretty soon I started getting all of these 
friend requests from people. I was like, oh, weird. I usually have like 400 followers. What's this? And then Huffington Post called and then Us Weekly and then Cosmo. And then it was like six different languages. And what I take from that is that women, women experience this a lot more than they talk about and that people are ready to change. People are curious. And that makes me really excited. And I think the key point there is highlighting that there's a range of normal. Tess is normal. I am normal. We are healthy, even though we look very different. And supporting other women who are different than you, I think, is the important part, too. Like, not just me as an athlete saying, oh, yeah, the only healthy way to be pregnant is to have run your 50 miles for the week until you give birth. That's pretty narrow. And that's not really going to move the conversation forward. And a big part of being comfortable in your own body is being comfortable with other people's bodies. Oh, totally. Totally. And me as an athlete, I think of myself more as an artist than as an athlete. And I say that because it's more about the practice than it is about the outcome. And if people are practicing their unique routines of health, their bodies and their lives are going to look so different than my body and my life. To assume that we would all look the same when we're healthy is not true. I've so enjoyed going from being a teenager to being in my 20s. I always felt older than I was, but now I just hit 30 and I love how I just don't care about a lot of the stuff that I cared about before. I care about like every day and the things that, that not that make me happy, but make me feel healthy and content. And I think that that only gets better. I appreciate that a lot of the women that I'm friends with who are in their 30s and or older or, you know, even younger too, the perspective that you gain as you age. I really value that. And now as I have Rumi too, I'm noticing how she's coming into her body and exploring her hands and she just has no self-consciousness whatsoever. If she feels like screaming in a guttural voice, she's going to scream in a guttural voice. She feels like she has none of that imprinting that I have. And I want so badly to like make sure that none of this trauma ever happens to her. Like maybe she can learn from stories or from textbooks and she can grow up knowing that her body's strong and that her thick thighs are beautiful and that she can do anything she puts her mind to. <laughs> Do you think that exposing her to the activities that you enjoy and, and the outdoors at a young age is going to help that? Yes. I think, you know, especially being a mountain athlete, I think that that contributes to a woman's ability to see her body as a useful tool instead of as some sort of an adornment or an object for somebody else's appreciation. I hope that by not saying that, she gets that. What a beautiful sentiment to pass down to your daughter. You can find more of Brittany's writing in her journal at www.magneticnorth.us. Every woman has a different experience while pregnant. Hearing Brittany's story, I thought about other women in my life who didn't find it as easy to be active. My friend Liz Song, for example, who I interviewed on the first episode of this podcast, has not always felt like her active self while pregnant. She's into her third trimester, and I told her about Brittany and recorded a snippet of our conversation. 
when you have been on the other side, I think it builds a lot more kind of empathy or compassion for being on the other side. Like if Brittany had a really horrible pregnancy experience, you know, I wonder what her perspective would be. And because I, like, I totally get her too. I'm like, I ran an ultra. I've biked the Pacific coast. Like I, like I've done all these things. I'm like, you just put your mind to it and do it. And it was impossible. It was just impossible to do in, in pregnancy. And so I, it's like this crazy, I don't know. It just feels like this total, like, Oh, I get it. Like, wow, I, I've been so judgmental in my own experiences before pregnancy of witnessing other women and being like, no, you can do it. Or like Jennifer Vardivis, do you know uh, her? Yeah. So she wrote, you know, a couple books. And I think when she was pregnant, she put some posts up, anybody can do this stuff at any stage in life, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, yeah, totally. That's going to be me. And then, you know, and then I'm like, oh, no. I don't think so. <laughs> like, like that's been my reality. Or even, yes, I went backpacking, but it, it was so, it was so hard. It wasn't like zippity doo da, you know, like going up the mountain. I was yeah. like, this is tough. So I don't know. There's just like, yeah, there are the people who can just do it, and then there are the people who want to do it and can't, and then there are the people who who don't and try. I mean, there's like. Such a, yes, so Such many combinations and permutations that you can make of that scenario. Yeah. I'm just working through that in my own mind. Physically, it's been hard, but like mentally, it's probably been the toughest. Mm. So kind of accepting, yeah, I want to go be doing those things too. I'm just going to lay on the couch though. <laughs> you know, it's like, like that's my alternative. And I don't know, like sometimes it's a matter of mind over matter. And then sometimes it's just like, there's a human inside me. Sucks. Yeah. So it's hard for me on the total outside of all of those different combinations. My, co- my combination is not pregnant, have no idea how I would feel while pregnant, <laughs> and still have trouble motivating myself to do the things that I want to do sometimes. <laughs> so. Yeah. I know it's a mystery to me too. Still, every day. <laughs> I'm still just like, wow. Like, I feel so impressed. Not, not in the like, wow, wow. I mean, there's that too, but just impressed by that story of her. Like, wow. It, it's really like been striking me quite a bit. So I definitely appreciated the, like I told you, the, her comparison that she did with that plus size model because it really, it sucks that people feel like they can judge pregnant people based on their body size. Everybody seems to know better than the other person. And as a pregnant woman who has very little control over what happens with her body, how she shows, how much weight she puts on, doesn't put on. I don't know. You need to have other people like telling you how you should feel or look or anything. Yeah. I really appreciate that post too. I was like, wow, I mean, those are two extremely different bodies. Yeah. Who both struggle with the same thing. Totally. Totally. Anyway, thanks for introducing me to her. Yeah, of course. I mean, I was thinking about you when I was talking with her. Liz isn't alone. Jennifer Farr Davis, who Liz mentioned to me in that conversation, is the female record holder for the Appalachian Trail. And Jennifer had a coming out of sorts on her Facebook page, 
She just gave birth to her second child and wrote about experiencing prenatal depression for both pregnancies. Let's keep talking about this. Let's support each other because the positives and negatives of pregnancy shouldn't be taboo. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Goal Zero. Goal Zero doesn't just make products to help us take chances in our outdoor lives. They tell the stories of solar life as well. And they understand the importance of adventuring as a kid. Case in point, one of their ambassadors, Liliana Lebecki, is a 12-year-old explorer. A self-described animal lover and world traveler, Liliana has been to all seven continents and has even summited Kilimanjaro. Her adventurous spirit is contagious. She welcomes challenges and her favorite word is wanderlust. After summiting the mountain in Tanzania, Lily visited the Kilimanjaro Kids Community Center. She saw how Goal Zero donated solar panels for the center, providing light and safety to the community. Lily hopes to incorporate more humanitarian efforts to her travels in the future, because by giving back, she helped more kids be able to adventure. Learn more at www.goalzero.com slash solarlife. I love this story from Elizabeth Bauer at backroadfamily.com about her first family experience backpacking with their 16-month-old daughter. Our daughter Sage was 16 months old, and we were four miles into a backpacking trip when we were sprinkled with a few drops of rain. Within minutes, the drops became a downpour. We ran and found a boulder next to a small tree. Using our tent's rain fly, my husband and I built a shelter. As we huddled together, I imagined the coming minutes and possibly hours as impossible. Certain, my very active toddler would want to escape my arms to run in the rain and stomp in the puddles, then cry when she realized it wasn't going to happen. I imagined the worst, but I was wrong. She was perfectly content, snuggled on my lap. We sang songs and experienced the wonderment of the passing storm. She was transfixed by the experience, the intoxicating forest scents, the droplets hitting the rainfly, the roaring thunder and flashes from lightning. This potentially negative experience became simple, beautiful bonding time for our little family. Here's an audio clip of us singing in the shelter. This trip was our first multi-day backpacking adventure with our daughter, and I was nervous. I'm so grateful, though, that I leaned into the nerves and went ahead with it anyway. With no toys and nothing but nature to keep her company, our daughter came alive. She is her most beautiful self in nature, even to this day. In fact, we all are our most beautiful selves in nature as a family. So by talking with Brittany and Liz, we've learned more about the range of adventuring while pregnant. 
I asked Shanti Hodges, the founder of Hike It Baby, if she had recommendations for women to talk to. We'll feature Shanti next episode about the importance of getting outside as a family of kids five and under. Shanti recommended the group Adventure Mamas. Founded by Justine Knob and Stephanie Feller, this group is unique in that it advocates self-care by adventuring with other moms, but without your kids. I was intrigued by this concept, as are others. Adventure Mama collab chapters are popping up all around the United States. I talked with Justine to learn more. I had my first son last October when he was born. It's like the most polarizing experience that I've ever been through. You have this sensation of love that you cannot describe. And so it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so in love with this little human. And then there was, and I was ready for that, you know, because that's what everybody talks about. But then there was this other side of me that was like, oh man, (laughs) I have this baby and I guess it's time for me to reevaluate my lifestyle. You know, because even through my pregnancy, we traveled a lot and adventured a lot and climbed and hiked. So it was this really, really weird thing. And I was really almost like devastated. Oh man, like I don't want to give up my adventurous lifestyle. And so I got online and started searching for a community that was aligned with my beliefs that like adventure doesn't end just because you have a kid. And maybe it's selfish of me. I needed more than these really kid-centric communities, which are beautiful and amazing. And I love like I wanted something that was for the moms, (laughs) you know, like moms together who are just crushing and sending and shredding and haven't given that up. (laughs) So... I like searched and searched and I couldn't find anything. You had these individuals who were out there who were doing it, but no hub. So me and a girlfriend, I was telling her about this thing. I was like, you know, I just created this meetup group called Wasatch Adventure Mamas and I'm going to make some friends <laughs> who have kids and, and want to go do badass stuff with me. And uh, she's like, that's rad. Well, she's, I grew up in the Midwest and, and so she was still in the Midwest as well. So she's like, you know what? I'm creating one here in Indiana. We're on the Indie Adventure Mamas. And like, I guess that means that we are the Adventure Mamas. So why do you think that women might have a tendency to neglect the activities that they love doing before giving birth? There's a lot of different reasons that go into that. I think one of the big things is, is just convenience. It's really, it's a lot of logistics to potentially put together a babysitter and then a partner and do all of the logistics. I think that's one reason. I also think that it's really fun to go on an adventure with your kids. It's really fun to see them explore and learn and tumble and get back up. And and so there's that where it's just like a lot of people just simply enjoy that. And then I think another reason that people don't do it is because there is so much mommy guilt that you're faced with once you make that transition into motherhood that you can't understand until you have a kid. For a lot of women, the prospect of taking time away from their kids to go and pursue these activities feels really selfish. And so they don't. But then we've had all of these women coming out of the woodwork and basically being like, you know, I've been trying to, to, you know, live my life, you know, to fit into this happy little box. And I'm, I miss it. I miss doing those things for myself. And you get resentment and 
and sadness and anxiety and depression and all of these things happening because it's not something that people openly talk about. Is the mommy guilt all, is it inward? You feel it naturally or is it something that society pushes on you as well? Um, I think it depends on your like community and your friends. There's all these videos that talk about mommy wars and like addressing mommy wars. They are addressing, oh, breastfeeding versus bottle feeding, baby wearing versus not baby wearing. Literally every decision that goes into parenthood, there are people who are like vehemently on both sides. There is this external pressure to do this or that. If you're involved in the mommy blogs or if you're on mommy community, sometimes you'll see that. Even more than that, it is it is intrinsic. You have this desire to be the best mom possible and to cater to your kids' needs and make sure that everything's good for them. And so it's definitely both. It's internal and external. You know, it's interesting. I had a, um, a contributor, I think it was about a year ago, She, I interviewed her about a book that she wrote about um, traveling and she visited all these different places in the world and she had had a kid and after she had a kid, she decided to do it. And she noted in the book and in the interview that no one really says when a man is quote unquote explorer and traveling, whether or not he has children. They're not like father of two travels to every continent. It's something that people seem to make a bigger deal out of for for mom. There is a bit of societal guilt just in some of the language that is used in the media. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people have asked us, like, well, why is it just adventure mom? It's like, why not adventure families? And it's exactly tying into that, where it's just, there are just different expectations that go upon a woman. And the woman is the one who has to physically go through the process of pregnancy and birth and the hormonal effects of it, you know, throughout the pregnancy and postpartum. And so it's a very different experience and it doesn't undermine what dads are going through because it is a obviously life-changing experience for men, but it's different for women, like biologically, chemically, physically, like it's, it's different. So we, as a mom myself, like I can't attest to what's happening for a man, but like I can attest for what's happened, my journey through motherhood. Do you think that your relationship with the outdoors has changed since having your son? Definitely changed because, it, it, you know, it, it has to. Before I was a mom, I very much lived my life as an outdoors woman. I was adventure therapy guide for several years and a field director. And so I was on the road eight days on, six days off, facilitating all of these different sports and personally traveling and climbing. You don't have to think about the logistics. It's just like, I'm getting in my in my truck and I'm going. <laughs> and as a mom, like to me, the... the hardest part for me is logistics. I think it's because I've already dealt with the battle of, oh, the, the guilt or the, you know, the, I don't think I can do that anymore since I'm a mom. Like I've already done away with all of those limiting mindsets. And so for me, it's logistics. My husband, we've had to really establish a partnership and he is so good about helping me have those experiences that I need to be whole. So it's like, yeah, you know, like I went on a big backpacking trip and we summited Mount Whitney and with some of my mom girlfriends and it's all there was three of us and so the three dads had the kids it's just like okay cool it's just logistics writing out all the to-do lists and lining up other babysitters and help making sure every all your ducks are in a row on a whole nother level 
So are those some of those resources or tips available through your website? Yeah, some. The biggest focus we've had recently is just community development. So we had this collab structure. Collab is what we were calling the communities. And so it was much more like um, different women sharing their own anecdotes and experiences. And recently, we've been putting a lot more energy into the electronic resources that we're providing. We're putting together trip reports right now, and we're putting together more blog entries from moms who were doing these things so that women have access to that information. Do you think that women in your your mom's generation would have enjoyed having something like this? We've had a lot of women who are now grandmas who have reached out. It's been kind of awesome because really open to that. It's not like you your kid turns 18 and you take that hat off. So we have all these grandmas who are like, adventure grandmas, you know, and out there just like whooping it up and crushing. So it's been really cool. It was a different time for sure. And my mom and like other women of that time have expressed that sentiment where the word self-care is becoming more and more prevalent. And we accept it a little bit more in our society today. But back then, it, it was even more taboo. And demographically, depending on where you were in the Midwest, where I grew up, definitely. You can learn more about Adventure Mamas through our episode page or at www.theadventuremamas.com. I also want to note that Justine mentioned moms coordinating with other moms. So it's not all significant others babysitting single moms can get involved with the group as well. I've had women reach out to me asking for stories and resources for older women. It's something I'll keep in mind as I continue to develop the podcast. And in relation to adventuring with kids, I think it's really important to delve into adventuring after the kids are grown. The women who have written to me talked about reclaiming time once kids are teenaged or out of the house. If you have a story you want to share through a voice memo for part two of Adventuring with Kids, email it to me at info at she-explorers.com. In the meantime, here's Heather Hopkins' story of a lifetime of getting outside with her kids, who are now grown and out of the house. I remember the first time I tentatively lowered my new baby into the sling I was wearing, zipped my big sweater up around him, and headed into the forest. I was struggling, overwhelmed by my new life as a mother and hoping that I would find myself again in this welcoming and familiar place. I walk along with his little body snuggled against mine, the sound of my steps on fallen leaves, the sweet forest air filling my lungs. And in the quiet spaciousness of this forest, my heart opens and I step into my new life. Over time, we switch to a backpack, his face next to mine as we wander about exploring the world. We see seasons change, watch a woodpecker, clouds, squirrels, birds, trees swing in the wind, snowflakes falling. He is quiet and still and absorbed by this place. And then he is walking next to me, his hand reaching up to hold mine as we amble along or crouching down to explore those small and unnoticeable things that I had always passed so quickly. These are the days of wonder and mystery. Then another child arrives, and this time the shift is easeful. The adventures continue, but at a new pace. 
throwing rocks in a lake, sending sticks down a creek, or gliding along the snow in our kick sled. These are our big adventures. We wander and explore and let the quiet and undisturbed places whisper their stories to us so we come to know and remember them always. As our children grow, there is a pull to be indoors, school and classes and schedules. So we move to a house in the forest to be near the wild places. It's here we hope our children will come to know themselves, the world and their place in it. We hope this sense of place will sink into their bodies, provide a foundation for weathering the ups and downs of life, a place where they can find solace and connection and peace. Through the teenage years, we still plan adventures and journeys outdoors, but the times for that is squeezed between so many other things. I persevere and get outdoors whenever I can sometimes with one or both children, sometimes on my own. When we all go together, it's joyful, and we are brought back to ourselves and each other. The summers bring long stretches of time outdoors, camping, swimming, hiking through forests, staring at stars in the blackest of skies, watching storms, lighting fires. It's a time of freedom and spaciousness. There have been times when I have found it challenging as a parent to remain dedicated to being outdoors in the midst of a culture that seems determined to keep us in. But now my children are grown and time in the outdoors continues to be a part of their lives and our lives together. When we go to the wilderness, we share our stories, our joys, our dreams and our sorrows until the peaceful murmuring of the trees and the calm water we walk beside reminds us to be still and quiet. And in that peaceful place, we remember who we are, where we come from, and how we are deeply connected to each other and to the world. Find more of Heather's writing through her blog at www.thewonderofplace.wordpress.com. For part two of Adventuring with Kids, we'll hear more of your stories, talk with Shanti Hodges of Hike It Baby, as well as the filmmakers behind Born Wild Project. We'll contemplate the importance of spending time outside as a family when kids are young and as they age. Big thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Goal Zero. And as always, if you want to learn more about She Explorers, head over to she-explores.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Music for this episode is by Mind's Eye, Nihilor, and Steve Combs. Until next time.